You are listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for joining us. For this week's episode, I'd like to play you my conversation with a super producer, the architect behind many of the UK's biggest albums in recent years, Fraser T. Smith. When you get taught too much, everyone sort of comes out of that same funnel. But I think if you learn how to do stuff on your own without the teaching, then it's cool because you hopefully you, you become in some way unique. Fraser T. Smith has co-written, mixed and produced seven number one singles in the UK, two Billboard number one singles in the US, and has contributed to 18 number one albums. He's helped bring some iconic records to life, such as Kano's Made in the Manor, Stormzy's Gang Signs and Prayer, and Psychodrama by Dave. Recently, Fraser has been working on a project of his very own, titled Future Utopia, and is about to drop a remix album of the project's debut record, 12 Questions, which features contributions from DJ Seinfeld, India Jordan, and High. I spoke to Fraser about the remix project, about his background as a session musician, and what it's like to make an official remix for Beyonce. I hope that you have a wonderful listen to Fraser T. Smith on RA's Exchange. You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange, welcoming Fraser T. Smith to the podcast. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for having me on this. Thank you for joining us. I'm a fan of fan of the podcast, so it's weird no to be way. on here myself. So I love that. Um, would you tell everyone where you are today? What's today looking like for you? Today is a Monday, and it's pretty grey Monday. It's like a typical Monday, as you'd you'd imagine I'm in the Chiltern Hills in my studio mm-hmm. looking out the window um I can't see too much actually I see some nice trees um lots of equipment lots of old school synths and stuff around me and what's your nearest piece of equipment it is a Roland Juno 106 synthesizer and how long have you had that in your possession I this has been quite an old school um thing for me like a lot of the I remember like a, a lot of the early grime stuff I used to do, I just used to play this straight in and yeah, a lot of the rappers used to look at, well, still do that, look at me like, what is that thing? <laughs> you know, a lot of the rappers were used to drawing the notes into Fruity Loops and stuff yeah, on the yeah. computer. They were like, what was this guy doing? You know, he's playing this old 80s synthesizer, but it sounded good anyway, so it's the most important thing. <laughs> so the Roland's been a bit of a long-term companion. What what might we have heard that um, has been made on that? Um, well, I don't know if you remember a track called Strider Man by mm. Tinchy Strider. <laughs> That's basically all Juno 106. Yeah, the whole thing. No way. And it's meant to say it was actually meant to sound quite wavy back in the day when I don't know wavy wasn't really so much of a thing, but. Yeah, it's got like these LFOs on it and, and this chorus that is just very distinctive and 
yeah, just it's just fun, you know, just having tactile stuff. I think you know, I love seeing how people work, different people work, and I love like being in the computer and and seeing, especially how people can can make amazing music without an instrument. But because I come from a musician background, I'm definitely more a tactile. Mm. Sort of person, so I've I've got like piano and synths and guitars, and I feel like a bit of a loss without that stuff. So yeah, it's always good to be banging and and um, hitting stuff and playing chords. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're gonna get to know you a little bit better today, um, and I think a nice place to start would be just back in time. Uh, so if you're up for it, would you share with us? an early memory of yours that is connected to sound in some way? Well, I can, I can go right back to when I really remember being drawn to music, which was when I went to see my nan in Rains Park in South London. And she was a, like she, in the pubs years and years and years ago, um, there was always a piano and, and it would just always be like a sing song, apparently. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember that. But she would be the person that would always jump on the piano and would always play. And she was self-taught and played all this. It's called like stride piano, apparently. But but all I knew is that her fingers were just so, were like going up and down, like playing this old kind of ragtime, like blues stuff. But incredible and I could just see the effect the music I mean I'm talking about because five or six at the time yeah. and I could see the effect that, that that music had and then I just became obsessed with the piano from a very early age but that that was a that was my first recollection of music and the power of it mm. and so from there did you take up piano was that your first instrument that you got involved with well I guess it was but I mean not in the traditional way and I, I didn't ever have lessons I I just always used to go around to, to like, my nan and and then um, my grandma had a had a. Everyone seemed to have a piano in the house. You know, it was the thing. It was kind of like I guess you the piano was in the house before TV or yeah. any of that kind of thing. So there would always be a piano, and as the grown-ups were talking, I would just be like experimenting on that. And then, did you end up studying music? I did in a sort of in quite a loose way. So I, I then was just not like having lessons but I got an acoustic guitar when I was about 11 or 12 and then went to senior school and used to hang out in the music room with Tom Rowlands actually from Chemical Brothers um, and that was incredible for me like oft I always mention him because he was such a huge influence when I was about 14 or 15, you know, I used to go around to his house and take my guitar and he had like drum machines and had such an amazing taste in music, which obviously he still has all these years later. But like he introduced me to like the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and Jimi Hendrix and The Mission and Sisters of Mercy. And he was just fusing all these like mad influences together with like loads of effects pedals. He had a guitar and... Yeah, massive, massive, massive influence. So when we left school, um, he then went to university. I think he went to university in Manchester and then like his career is set in stone. Um, um, I I didn't do very well on my A-level, so I I was kind of 
at a loss to know what was go- what I was going to do. But then I got a scholarship to the West London Institute and studied music for a year then before coming out. And, and I was kind of playing a lot of guitar in those days. And so came out and started the the long road to being a session musician, which comprised of uh, doing like a terrible gig once a week and uh, washing up in local bars and doing things like glass collecting and stuff you know, for for the majority of the time. So I was just trying to like, then for the next few years, like less, less washing up, because obviously you've got to pay the rent somehow and the music wasn't paying anything. So trying to get more gigs and then um, built that up to, to the point where I was starting to play session guitar for, for people in the studio. And, and then that's how I met Craig David and, and, um, people like Tim Deluxe and Rudy Silver and by playing actually playing guitar mm-hmm. on their records, which was really cool. And I yeah. was just I was just understanding at that point like what a producer was and what, what uh a songwriter did. I, I knew only knew mm. musicians and artists. I just thought like, well that that was all there was and I didn't realise these amazing guys behind the scenes and then obviously with Rui and Tim and then I met Darren Emerson through Tim, I understood like a lot about DJ culture because I would go, I would travel to go go out to Ibiza with with Darren or Tim for one night and and stand on the stage next to him like playing guitar in Pasha, which is like quite wild. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a crazy route into Pasha. So as you were sort of beginning to figure out the other roles within music and creating a song and the other minds that are a part of creating a song, who were you kind of looking up to in like a songwriter sense well i mean again like this is kind of this sound, this makes me sound like i'm about 110 but um there wasn't there wasn't really like the internet in those days <laughs> so um mm-hmm. so it was weird because i mean as a songwriter point of view i mean i i was influenced f- from by everyone from ian curtis of joy division through to chuck d it was artists, you know, through to James Taylor, Tom York. I mean, really like super eclectic. I didn't, you know, there were there weren't kind of celebrity songwriters back in the day in terms of people behind the scenes. So I was just learning as I went, and I would just watch to see how when I was in the studio with people, the engineers were working, and the and then obviously super inspiring to be to be to become really good friends with Tim Deluxe and see how he worked and put stuff together. And then I would, I always had like a recording setup from being a kid, you know, and that evolved and I was always writing my own songs. And then I, I, I thought actually writing songs with other people seems really fun. So then I started putting myself out as someone that could, could collaborate in that way. And then, so that, so there really wasn't a, a typical sort of route but I think that was cool as well because mm. I think when you when you get when you get taught too much you every everyone sort of comes out of that same funnel but I think if you if you learn how to do stuff on your own without the teaching then it's cool because you you just hopefully you you become in some way unique. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um especially for like journalism stuff and presenting radio, I think it's important that you just 
stick to your own way of doing things in and just like pick up things and learn as much as you can yeah. um i'm curious to know um how things have changed from your point of view in terms of like working in the music industry because it seems like you were able to sort of once you'd sort of got into the studio and the recording world via being a session musician you were then able to like observe other roles and stuff like that um do you think it's similar today like is it easy to get in via being a session a session musician and then observe the roles or is it more like you can read about all these different jobs online and figure out what you might want to have a crack at? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think now communication is so much easier. You can, I guess you can DM people and if your stuff's good, you can mm. send as a producer or a DJ, you know, you can send music to people, which is really good um, without having to be in the studio. But I think there's also the the sense that through being a being a session player you know you can you can then start collaborating with people and make your own music as well which is really cool um i met Youssef days the amazing drummer um the other week and um hopefully we're going to do something together and it's interesting like to be would be great to be in the studio with him as like two musicians you know and just to see which i know sounds like the obvious thing but I, most of the time, you know, I'm in with artists or or DJs or producers from from another kind of angle, and and that's really exciting as well. So I mean, yeah, I think the way in is, I mean, I had a lucky break really because because I was playing guitar for people that that really didn't like mean anything. But but I was like a massive hustler with with Craig David because I met him as a guitar player. But but then I think. He didn't keep me in a box because he gave me loads of opportunities. But I think the thing is, is like, yeah, the, the guy on guitar, that's really good. But I remember just really trying to get in with him. And I remember making CDs for him and posting them through his letterbox. It must have been really annoying. But like posting them through his letterbox and like, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And I was just really, like I loved, I love UK Garage and and I love the guitar. And I thought that what he and Mark Hill were doing on, on Born to Do It was like incredible. It was just such a like an amazing album so so i wanted to be like part of that and craig eventually said well i've got this um this song called can't well this idea that turned into a track called can't be messing around which is like a kind of missy elliott beat and we ended up doing that and and that was my first ever ever release in music which was mm. like really good fun to do with him really cool by the way, what was on the CDs that you were you were posting to Craig David? I was just making these like R&B, garagey, acoustic guitar things. I mean, because I I don't think Mark Hill from Artful Georgia, who who made that incredible first record with Craig, was like a guitar player, like like you know per se. He was obviously did what he did and put it together like, and it sounded amazing. So I was just just trying to give Craig like some different flavors on the guitar and he uh he took none of them none of those flavors and actually the track that we ended up doing was like this kind of missy elliott beat with like strings if i was happy with that that was, that was cool amazing um and you sort of built the relationship working with craig david from there and ended up doing quite a lot yeah. together um is that something that's important to you like um 
because you've worked with a number of artists but you've worked quite closely and in a focused way from what I understand um so yeah what what's it like building that type of relationship with an artist and and how much of a priority is that for you I think it's it's really important I mean it the, the the relationships that I have like the, the really close ones with like Craig and Kano and Stormzy and Dave and like I don't you, you you see each other and you there's so much there's like this well of kind of stuff you've got to draw on you've been usually been through so much together and and you can just pick things up as you left them and and it's very effortless because they just walk into the studio and it's you know, it's like seeing an old well it is like seeing an old mate because they are old mates but yeah. you know that comes to work it's very free and yeah I think sometimes like building those relationships it's it's kind of a weird thing you know someone walking into the studio and then expecting to kind of pour their heart out or or immediately be creative because I think creativity mm. is such a kind of delicate thing and often it works you know mm. where you there's kind of this awkward like first date kind of thing and you you're not you're kind of trying to read what the other person's thinking and and sometimes you make something you know really magical from that but but i think that the more stuff you've done together is also great where you 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 can really like dig in let's say with kano on made in the manor he said to me they really wanted to make a very personal record and so i feel like he he and i were so close that he he could be very open and transparent and and that's like the first stage I think to to getting somewhere with music where you can feel like a I try and make the environment in the studio very welcoming and and usually have like a four hour chat with someone before before we even make music because it's good just to know what's like yeah. going on with them and and to try and hopefully give the artists some some music that's that's going to resonate so so what is it like for an artist to come and have some studio time with you what what would they expect give us the full experience well we have the studio out of london now which which i love which is like it was basically it's the equivalent of living in rented accommodation for your whole life which is what i have in terms of the studios you know i've always been set a certain way and more often than not you know this sort of glamorous glamorous image of studios is it's definitely not not the one you know you've you've got things that you're you're coping with like i don't know a leaking roof or something happening that's sort of beyond your control and you know like in a rented house it's it's kind of a you know a challenge sometimes but we bought this house outside of london about an hour out of london and what's great about it is that we were able to to make it exactly the way that that I'd always dreamed of of making like a really nice studio for people, so people can stay over, and and really just like have a great time. Like the, f- the food here is great. We try and get all the food like locally, and um, it's all really set up like very sort of homely, but also everything works really well because you know when you when you want to record, it's got to sound great. Um, so yeah, I think the thing is about being out of London is that you don't have this sort of competition with other people. Like usually in those studio blocks, it's just someone like banging away, making a beat that you usually assume is like better than yours in the next the next studio. <laughs> um, and that, that has put certain pressures on. Whereas I think when people come here, it's 
it's very remote and it's in a little tiny village and no one's going to kind of find you or just bother you or disturb you. And I think that, you know, we end up just, I don't know, artists come and we, we go for a walk and just, it's just very like freeing creatively. That That's the idea. So you can really think like laterally about, about music and creativity, which, which is what I really want to be, you know, of service to artists where they can come here and, and just get the best, get the, get the best ideas. Just feel that they can express mm. themselves, you know. Mm. So how long have you been out there? We've been out here about five years now. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, you did mention the, the big four um, artists that you've worked with that I think are like, our audience will be super curious to hear about. So we've talked a little bit about Craig David and Kano, which moves us on to perhaps to Stormzy. Um, how did your relationship with Stormzy begin? And, you know, tell me a bit about that experience of being part of his album. Well, I was aware of of Stormzy's work from like Dreamers Disease EP and Wicked Skangman series, um, all those freestyles that he was doing and creating. And I just thought, what an incredibly exciting artist, you know? So I was aware. And then my friend Twin, that was working for Atlantic at the time, said, look, you know, I'd love to bring Stormzy in and then you know, he wants to meet you. And I said, I'd love to meet him as well. So he came in and bowled into the studio, six foot five, massive smile, which is very disarming because he's kind of an imposing figure, you know, and and we just hit it off from the word go and had a, had a great like first chat about what he wanted to achieve with Gang Signs and Prayer. And I I could sort of, I could sort of hear it as he was speaking to it about it. You know, it's amazing that I could hear the gang signs being the kind of beats that that we'd use or would make, and then the prayer would be all this musicality. You know, the strings and the harps and choir sounds that that we would use. So, yeah, it was very powerful first meeting, and then we went in for a week just to see how things would go, and made "Blinded by Your Grace" part one. Um, cigarettes and Kush and a couple of other bits but it was like super productive week um, and then we just got really got into like a swing of five days a week he would come to Liveroo make sure he'd eaten some good stuff and then get down to it leave at about nine or ten at night and we just did that for ten months and uh Different artists came in and different producers came in and and it was amazing, amazing period of my life, you know, amazing year mm. to have come up with something that felt felt so culturally important, not in a kind of pretentious way, but just in a way that I think people people needed a Stormzy at that at that point of view. At that point of time, sorry, and and I think that the the things that he was addressing and the way that he was wearing his heart on his sleeve and the the stuff about mental health and the thing the things that he was talking about on every track I think was just really important. So it was a real privilege to to worked on that record. Mm. And how did your role kind of flex and change over those sort of ten months to a year? Like, what kind of things were you involved in specifically? 
the thing is with that is that it, it it's it's kind of me in my perfect habitat in that at one point it's it's listening to Stormzy and and getting him in the right kind of frame of mind to record. Then it's like very technical. I was working with my engineer Manon on on the real technical side of of making sure that his vocal performances were sounding as good as possible. Then I was playing guitar. Then I was on the keys. Then I was making a beat and listening to lots of stuff that that he'd made before he met me. And and we were picking out tracks that we thought that would be great. Working with artists, working with amazing people on the record like Eminike and Getz and Jay Huss. So just sewing it all together whilst all, also putting in like lyric ideas and music and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, like a jack of all trades really. So that, that kind of role really suits me doing lots of different things. Mm. Amazing. Um, and another artist that I'd love to hear your experience of working with is Dave. Um, how did you first meet Dave? What was your first impression of Dave? Well, Dave, I actually met in the process of working on Gang Signs and Prayer. And he was like late for college. He was at college in Richmond at the time. And his managers, Jack and Benny, I'd worked with before, worked with Tinchy Strider. And they said, look, we, we've got this kid that we really want you to meet. He's very, very special. Um and then we we met and then immediately hit it off, got into the studio like the next week and made a track called Picture Me where like we were jamming on piano, I think I was on guitar and we we really hit it off on a immediately on like a musical level in that he loves piano and he's a great piano player. So he loves kind of learning new chords and and working in that way. So that that I would say that's a real musical relationship that's that's grown into something greater because we've done you know, we we made psych we made um three EPs and then worked on his debut album and have become very close and you know, I know his family now and you know, you you, you become closer the more the more you work with anyone, the closer you get. So and to see his see his progression, you know, through like that Brits performance that we did and then into his making his second album, which is just phenomenal and the shows that he's, well, it's going to be doing, but the the Park Life show that he did and just to see his progression as a, as a musician and an artist and a producer, you know, the way that he exec produced the Fredo album as well. It's like serious, serious guy. <laughs> Very proud of him. Yeah, it's really cool that you can um, help an artist like realise their vision and then they can sort of pick up skills just from being with you day to day and then go and do that for another artist. Um, so we've heard a bit about what it's like being in the studio with an artist. What is your approach to these sessions? Like, Do you just wake up and go and do them or is there any kind of preparation that you go through to get yourself ready to work with an artist and bring their vision to life? Well, I was trying to be really diligent in listening to loads of music before and listening to, I, I'm always listening to music anyway, but listening to, to lots of the artist's music. And then I try and create some music that I think would be good in case we get stuck. And then the artists come in and 
but but sometimes all all that homework kind of goes to waste. I don't think I've ever really used any of the things, but I think it just makes me feel better, like to have a a fallback plan. But usually we just we'll chat for a few hours and then I, I'll just let. I'll, I mean, it's quite random. I'll just let the the feeling of what we're trying to do just sort of take over. So then you you are kind of in the moment and everything's set up in the studio so it's it's super quick to to make stuff whether it's live drums or electronic stuff and it, it it's all ready to go so i think like there might be four hours of talking and then you might make the track in in half an hour and then we'll work on lyrics and so it it's not always as quick as that but but i think the the ratio of like chat to music is is pretty quick and i i do actually think that if you're on the same page then you can you can make things pretty quickly you know mm -hmm. i think most artists that I, well all artists that i know like have a have a clear vision of what they want and they'll sometimes know what they want to do with me and so it's just chatting about it and just working on the kind of emotion that that they want to bring and then then it usually is is pretty quick. Or you could maybe work with like I'm I'm really excited to work with um DJ Seinfeld in a few weeks. And that will probably be like maybe not going into like how you're feeling. Obviously I want to know how he is from a human point of view, but we'll mm -hmm. probably just end up geeking out for two days on like <laughs> hi hats and synths and bass lines and stuff. That that's different, you know. But I think yeah, with an artist where they're they're singing or rapping or or doing spoken word, then there's definitely the the side that y you want to try and get in, inside their head and and work out, or else it, for me it's just a bit clunky, like assuming just meeting someone and then just playing some chords or something. It, it's kind of a bit weird. So mm. yeah, it's almost like you basically do a whole podcast episode before <laughs> you jump I in. I do. I really do, <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I think artists. Artists probably like it if we get a good track. If we don't, then it's just like, what was that guy going on about? You know, I just wanted, like, <laughs> could have got three tracks in the time it took to get one. I don't know. But for me, it's just like I just need to, to feel out what the thing is. Because mm -hmm. I think I want every track to be as special as it can be. And, I, yeah, I'm not really like a conveyor belt kind of guy. No. I think it would be efficient if I was. You know, I'd just read out those beats <laughs> and just... Do you want to go with A, B, C, or D? And then someone will just jump in the booth. But I, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't usually work like that for me. No. Well, your approach clearly resonates with the artists that you've got these like deep relationships with. Um, I was just wondering about sort of like you, you know, being the facilitator, the person who helps them bring their dream to life, and sort of being perhaps slightly in the background. Obviously, that's a bit different to um, Future Utopia. Mm. But I was just wondering if it's any kind of like reflection on, you know, how you see yourself or your character as just to be like the kind of the facilitator who's slightly in the background. Yeah, really is. And um, when I was thinking about Future Utopia, you know, there were some people that were saying, well, you know, you should, should, you should put your name on it. And uh, I just wanted Future Utopia to be something where again I could be in the background but it became quite a difficult thing because I think people want to see somebody 
But I also didn't, I didn't want to feel like I had some sort of buy through or some kind of easy route just because I'd worked with some great people. And the reason that Stormzy, Dave and Kane are on the record is that I, I, I want the best people I've ever worked with to be on that record. But I didn't want it to be like this kind of weird sort of celebration of of the the, st the people that I'd worked with. It was it was more about the concept of the twelve questions, and and I'm honestly as, as excited as the contributions of people like Alicia Harris and Albert Woodfox, and bringing like Stormzy together with Beatrice Mashia, who was the mother of a young kid called Duran that was involved in a um, fatal knife attack. So to put people together that you wouldn't normally expect. You know, I really didn't want to do this kind of super track with Dave Stormzy and Kano all kind of gunning and and going back to back. Everybody mm. on 12 Questions like, has their place and like Children of the Internet with Dave and S. Devlin and Kano with Albert Woodfox talking about freedom and him recording that in his house during lockdown. And it's it, it had to, to, every collaboration had to mean something to me. Mm. So that's that's what I did, and yeah, it had a a kind of cultural cultural reference point and a reference point back to the question and the mm -hmm. and the answer ultimately. Yeah, let's just let everyone know who might not know the full context of the record. Um, so, would you tell everyone about the idea of these twelve questions and how they came about in the first place and how you then translated them into individual songs. Yeah, of course. So so I knew, I was having a break after Made in the Manor, Gang Sons of Prayer and Psychodrama and was getting ready for the studio to be built. And I didn't really know what the next move was creatively. So started to like watch a lot more TV because I've been in the studio for like a long time and didn't have much time to catch up with like news and stuff i was reading the paper and i just was starting to think about these big philosophical questions like what's the cost of freedom and what happens next and that was reading the news and and just being that being around me i was just sort of prompted and i guess it's a kind of anxiety really that that prompted that and i was just writing out these questions why are we divided when we're so connected what's the cost of freedom on this big whiteboard and then came to 12 and I thought, I don't know, that, that just feels like the right amount. But I didn't know it was an album at the time. I thought it could be a Netflix thing. I could be a film or well, I just knew that these questions were really working. And then I started putting down people's names that I thought would be great to answer these questions. So I, I read about Albert Woodfox, who's spent 43 years in a, in a six by three, cell for 23 hours a day he was a, a black panther and, and i just thought it'd be really great to go and interview him and record that spoken word and and to let more people know about him and to see what what he would say when i asked him that question and then did the same with people like catherine fredericks who's a friend of mine who's a an abstract icelandic artist and then i thought wow but then we could expand it by adding Dave and and adding 
what about if Idris was was answering a question and you could get Getz or Arlo Parks to sing a song and then it just became this this whole thing with 12 questions and the reason that there are there are 12 questions but essentially 12 tracks but I think there's 21 sections of the record is that there's I wanted there to have I wanted it to be a journey from start to finish and for there to be interludes and to take people on this pretty mad at times quite a mad journey from the first track Fear of Faith with Alicia Harris this incredible spoken word poet who wrote this poem on on fear to then go into this track with Mickey Echo like a kind of rock track and then Idris Elba speaks and there's the, these really kind of dystopian strings and I wanted it to feel pretty cinematic and and that's basically the form of the record and then that goes through into into Tom Grennan and Koji Radical and th th there's lots of different styles but I felt like if I was going to do this I, I didn't want to limit it limit it to one style I wanted it to be like very eclectic and really say to say something about me as a musician in terms of all the, the great music that I've I've grown up listening to and that has been a lot of guitar music but but a lot of hip-hop from new school to trap to to classical music to jazz steely dan but to radiohead and everything in between so yeah there's a there's a lot of music on there was all of it recorded in covid it was actually about 75 was pre-covid 75 percent and then okay the 25 percent yeah we had to get done um what were some of the adjustments and like the innovations that you found people that you're working with were making and what did you have to change yourself? Well, I think when you pre-COVID, when we had the, I had the luxury of people coming to the studio, you know, it's pretty set. And I had, I had a lot of the music written at that point because we were talking about, to say that thing of contradicting myself, you know, when I'm working on someone else's record, obviously I'm a blank, blank page at the start. Whereas I thought for this, I really had to step up and be, way more proactive and obviously time is precious so say when Arlo Parks came in I wanted to have a piece of music for her and I was hoping that she'd like it and and she did and then we we wrote Stranger in the Night over that that piece of music and I said about the concept and we talked about the question that related to the song which is what matters most and we had a long chat about that and then that song just sort of unfolded it was it was an incredible experience um but yeah in covid it was about me trying to persuade kano to record a verse on his phone um which he did and that's that's the recording that that you can hear on the record mm -hmm. and then tom grennan i sent him a a like a hard disc recorder to record and he ended up recording that in his car because it was the quietest place. It's actually quite a good idea, actually. It's kind of like a mobile vocal booth because it's so quiet, isn't it, in a car? I never really thought, like, what a good place to record. But then he sent the the recorder back. Um, so he recorded his, his vocals that way. So there were kind of fun adjustments at that point. Right. What... Um 
tips could you potentially share for any young people who are making music and they don't have access to a studio or they still have to isolate for whatever reasons what what tips can you share with us of how we can get really good recordings at home i think like honestly you can you can make you can make music on your phone like it's it's nice it's a real luxury to have like a nice microphone or whatever but i do see some people maybe stopping the creative process because some people say like I'm going to have to wait till I do this or when I get this it's gone in your laptop or whatever like honestly the, the, there's no barrier to creative entry at this point and I mean yeah if you check out check out Kano's vocal on on um, on Freedom that that is his phone that's him on the phone so most people have a phone now, <laughs> um, so it's 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 simple. You can you can use whatever. Just get going with it. Just get going. Let's talk a bit more about the remix version of the album. Yeah. Um, I'd really love to hear. I mean, there's a couple that I would love to hear. You know, a bit more about because I just think that our our listeners will be really curious about hearing more about them. Perhaps we'll start with LaFonda, who is a fairly recent guest on the podcast. Mm. Um, so this is built off the song that you had together. And is this more her developing it and putting even more of herself into mm. a version of it? 100%. 100%. So the, the concept of 12 Questions After Dark was came about through me and us releasing 12 the main version in lockdown and i felt i don't know i, I was so pleased creatively with the way that that we released in the artwork and and the reception was amazing and people were you know seemed to be really into it and were very kind but i, I don't know i just felt there was more i just felt like i wanted to to do something else so so i was djing and I had the acapellas on on my memory stick and, and was just playing like I remember playing Stratospheres by Christian Smith and just just putting in like some Simon Armitage over the top and just having like fun and just playing like all my my favourite recent records. I also had a I had social distancing as well by Temba. And I can't remember what I put over the top of that, but I was just playing around with the acapellas and I thought, wow, it sounds it sounds so good. And, you know, like the delays on Idris Elba's vocals and stuff. I was having so much fun. So I recorded it and sent it to my manager and said, look, maybe this is like the basis of of like a DJ set that I'll go out and play. I'll play like all my favourite records, but then to tie it in with 12 Questions of Future Utopia, I'll just, I'll just put the acapellas over the top. And then my manager, Phil said well why don't you approach like some of the the people that have have made these records and then see if they want to make some original pieces of work for it and i was like well if if they'd be up for it i'd love that um and so we started approaching people and going back to your your point martha i had loved working with la fonda and wanted to work with her again so we asked her to to do the remix and and that's on on what happens next and i think 
she smashed she smashed the original and she smashed the remix. She's such mm. a creative, incredible artist. Mm-hmm. And how did she sort of come onto your radar in the first place? That's a really good point. I mean, when I was having this period of like reading the news and reading the paper, I was just listening to loads of music and it was a really nice time to, to really reconnect with with culture, I think. You know, I think people always say, oh, you know, you must be really aware of everything that's going on. But often when, when you're making someone's record, you're just focused on that. And so you're not actually that aware of other people's music. Um, so it was a really good time. And I just, just came across some of her work and, and was just blown away. And we reached out and, yeah, she was able to come into the studio to, to work on the, the the version on the main album and we just hit it off and then I think she was in Paris for when she did the remix and um, that was remote but we were obviously talking and, and talking about like, the kind of ideas that I had and and yeah, came together came together really well Wonderful um, Another person that I would love to hear about your experience of working with is India Jordan Yeah um, How did they come onto your radar in the first place? I think in a similar way, I would just, for me, DJing is, is, is a real way of connecting with, with new music that's, that's coming out. And I mean, the, as much as I've made, I've been, I guess, in the, in the hip hop lane for, for a while. I think my, my DJing passion is certainly electronic music. And I'd, I'd become aware of India and high and Anne's and to me this incredibly exciting new breed of forward-thinking electronic musicians who and artists who who have sort of thrown the rule book out a little bit in terms of what's what you can do and what you can't so India was always going to be in the in the hat of of people that I, that I wanted to work with and and we talked and again immediately hit it off and they were very generous in in coming on board on the record and sent some ideas backwards and forwards and and from from the word go was just such a special track having Arlo's vocal and and just seeing the way that that they interpreted that song and it's a real real great moment on the record for me that very tender mm. I think that's such a cool thing about remixes in general you can just bring someone new into the fold and then have them totally like reimagine or reinterpret something that you made and that you sort of initially put out there and then it's just sort of develops and rolls into something new what is your relationship like with remixes as a concept like what do you like about them as a sort of art form well, i've done a lot of remixes you know i started started back early 2000s with like dries of bone and i've done i've done remixes for beyonce and all sorts of artists um i find them i find them really fun to do but I think with my record, 
it was a different approach. I mean, it, it's, I know the word remix is, is, you know, it's exciting, but, uh, but I feel like this is also without, again, without sounding pretentious, but really like a reimagination because, because I think the, th the thing is about remix is that it's, it is traditionally kind of to serve a purpose of being played more on radio. Whereas I think with this, a lot of the the artists, when we had the initial chats, were like, what do you want me to do? And I, I was really saying that like, there's no brief. I want you to do something that you feel really passionate about. I, I want you to, to take the question and take the original music and use as much or as little of it as you want. I want you to feel that you're really expressing yourself. This isn't like, we're not doing this to cynically kind of get into the electronic scene or or try and like capitalize on another market or or get radio play obviously like the electronic scene which i feel like i've always been part of like not in the mi real mix of it but i've i've just that's kind of the scene that that kind of talks to me like musically so um 12 questions after dark is 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 really about me working with like a dream list of collaborators and and just seeing how this the the main version of the record could then be made and sort of transfigured and transmuted into this to this new after dark version which which it really has been and i wanted to sort of wait till the album was was mastered i, I knew obviously was really involved in each individual track but then waited till it was mastered and just went out into the to the country and into Hampshire, me and my wife were away and, and we listened to it at like three in the morning, like really after dark and um, just like blew my mind how it all fitted together and it all really worked and everyone's contributions are just mind-blowing. <laughs> I think it's also nice that um, the album came out and was sort of like a companion in lockdown but then now the clubs are open again and we can actually go and have a little dance and enjoy these remixes um, yeah. in a club environment. It's quite yeah. like a nice sort of soundtrack to what's going on in the world. Really is, really is. And that, you know, that was on my mind as well that you have the the main version that is, is very much like demands your attention, kind of like a Tarantino film or a Coen Brothers film, you know, where you're kind of, I wanted it to be to be for there to be suspense and emotion and pathos you know like in in one of those kind of films of it for it to feel very vivid and then the 12 questions after dark you're right is it's still really really engaging because you've still got the spoken word and melodies and all all the bits but but the reinterpretation yeah gives it that that different different feel it's equally as powerful but just mm. very, very different. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to let you go in a second. I just feel like I would be doing the listeners a disservice if I didn't ask you, what is it like to make a remix for Beyonce? It's very, very exciting and, and quite scary because you just hear that a cappella and it's, yeah, very, very... It was, it was for... Do you remember that film? Uh, what was the film? The track was Listen. Do you remember Jen um, Jennifer Hudson and Beyonce did this duet? 
So I got the a cappella, and it was just like the greatest vocal I think I'd, one of the greatest vocals I've ever heard to for them to sing together and they wanted like a house remix so I I obliged and um, yeah it was I mean it's not like she was calling me up but <laughs> I, I think uh, she must have she must have heard it because I, I also get the feeling that she must have approved it because I don't think anything would come out with Beyonce's name without her hearing it and going, yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, that's in my dream. She heard it. <laughs> she put it on in the car. Yeah. Heard the bass and went, wow, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, but I don't know. Let's keep the dream oh, alive. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep the dream alive for sure. <laughs> um, all right, then. One last thing I would just like to know is that what kind of space are you in right now? Are you consumed by working on something or are you in a space where you're able to listen and take things in and if you are listening what are you listening to at home well i just finished an ep with an artist who i signed called mizey so mizey sort of turned me on to some artists that i've i've been listening to for a while but i'm really getting into like the depths of of steve lacy's catalogue and Sid, um, I'm really getting back into like the internet and just seeing, as in the band, and just 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 really seeing like how great they are again. And so, Mizey's new EP is very very soulful, but has this kind of slightly wavy R&B feel to it. Um, and that's been a lot of fun making that. So that's that's what I'm listening to. And then I'm making mu new music all the time for Future Utopia. Um, it's going to be in way more of a electronic space for next year. Um, just looking forward to, to new collaborations and new new musical adventures. But it's all feeling super exciting. When I'm making music and, and I'm excited about the music, then I'm, that's, that's when I'm in a good headspace. You know, and, and that's, that is literally where I am at the minute lovely i love to hear that that's wicked oh. <laughs> all right then well fraser t smith thank you so much for joining us on the podcast thanks martha look i grew up in a good but a changing age my wife and kids damon wayne's Club was everybody's favourite place Where if you spoke to a girl then it was face to face Bro I seen a heart of a hood turn trendy Kids lose interest, parks turn empty Social media's got us all less friendly Now can't you see the irony? She's got game when she types to me But nothing in person that ain't the type for me Asking can we go for dinner yet in the flesh No conversation, no intellect The future generation of the children of the internet Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Fraser T. Smith. Our full archive is available for you to take in. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to listen to Andrew Menser's interview with the director and musician, Klein. Their chat is available on all platforms right now. I will have a new episode for you next week. Until then, take care. 
We finally found a voice and we ain't speaking as loud People only want to listen to the sheep in the crowd And any other statement gets you cancelled by an activist That's never helped the cause that they're tweeting about Do you blame public figures and personalities For giving little kids a warped view of reality Or blame all of the apps that make a killing And finding a sweet spot in your self-hate and vanity Could you argue that it's borderline dangerous To take a picture of a girl's face and start changing it in one quick filter Your nose looks thinner, your eyes look fuller, your lips look bigger, your software's better.